the BioWorld Insider Podcast. This is the BioWorld Insider Podcast, and I'm Lynn Yaffe. About a third of all cancers are driven by mutations in RAS genes. Many RAS mutations make cells resistant to a lot of approved cancer therapies. Some members of the RAS gene family encode proteins that have a key role in cell signaling. When those genes are mutated, cells grow uncontrollably and evade death signals. So far, blocking RAS gene function has not worked. It's such a challenging area of science that RAS proteins are considered by many as undruggable targets for therapy. Despite that, there's a highly competitive drug development landscape, and the team at Revolution Medicines is undaunted, building a portfolio of compounds that inhibit critical signaling nodes in RAS and associated pathways. Pharma giant Sanofi had enough faith in Revolution's approaches that in 2018, it partnered with the company, giving them $50 million up front and up to $500 million in potential payments. Revolution has been evaluating its lead asset, RMC4630, in a multi-cohort Phase 1-2 program for a range of tumor types. But this week, they hit the brakes on experiments pairing RMC4630 with Roche and AstraZeneca drugs due to a lack of efficacy. Today, BioWorld's managing editor, Michael Fitzhugh, is joined by Revolution's president, CEO, and chairman, Mark Goldsmith, to discuss the company's challenges and progress. Welcome, Dr. Goldsmith. Thanks very much for having me. Michael, take it away. Thank you very much. Revolution Medicines was founded in 2014 to develop medicines that could outsmart cancer. Tell me a little bit about what shape that work has taken and how it helped you eventually identify a lead candidate. Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Revolution Medicines was predicated on the idea that many important new disease targets are classically undruggable, undruggable by traditional means. And we thought we could overcome these challenges by drawing both inspiration and even specific lessons from a billion years of evolution and provided instructions about non-obvious strategies derived from nature and from natural products that we could use to drug new disease targets. And in fact, the name Revolution Medicines uh, is the merging of two words, redesigning and evolution. That's revolution. And by that, we mean borrowing features of natural products that come out of that billion years of evolution to make new synthetic compounds that engage these targets that are otherwise very difficult to drug. We licensed a chemistry from uh, Dr. Marty Burke at the University of Illinois to help us do this. And our strategy is to create very special compounds that will ultimately become differentiated drug candidates to use these compounds in order to probe human disease and human biology and advance the field and then combine the insights from our differentiated compounds with these scientific advances to take a best-in-class approaches uh, to treating these difficult cancers. And as a company, we worked initially in several therapeutic areas, but early on we became increasingly focused in oncology and precision oncology specifically and uh, as of uh, a year or two ago, we are now fully, uh, completely committed to RAS-addicted cancers. Our first two clinical stage compounds are RMC4630, an inhibitor of SHP2, and RMC5552, uh, an inhibitor of an associated uh, target called mTORC1. Uh, and we have a pipeline of very interesting RAS uh, inhibitors that I hope we'll have a chance to talk about uh, in this conversation. 
I really, uh, one of the things that I came across as I was reading about the company was that you refer to these targets as frontier targets in rest addicted cancer. T- tell me just a little bit about why that phrasing. It's interesting. Well, we like to think that we're operating on the frontiers of cancer biology. And in order to come up with something that will help patients who are not adequately served by today's medicines, we have to look to the frontiers of science. We have to identify a target's that have important roles in disease pathogenesis and for which we could come up with uh, interesting inhibitors or modulators of those targets. SHIP2 is an example of such a target. RAS, the RAS family of oncogenic proteins, clearly represent uh, those sorts of targets. So working on the frontiers and trying to push those frontiers with, uh, with pioneering new molecules and new biologic insights. So one of the programs that you mentioned, the 4630 program, has uh, matured along that way. You've um, mm-hmm. embarked on a number of studies, early stage studies of the candidate, both in monotherapy and in combination as a potential treatment for solid tumors, right? Yes. Yes. So SHIP2 is a tyrosine phosphatase, uh, very important as a convergent signaling node for many receptor tyrosine kinases that, that drive uh, human cancer. It's a very difficult class of targets. Uh, Many pharmaceutical companies broke their picks trying to drug uh, targets like SHIP2 over the years, Uh, but we've succeeded in developing a a very selective, potent, uh, and well-behaved inhibitor called RMC4630, which today uh, is leading the field, the field of SHIP2 inhibitors, with its very uh, attractive uh, clinical profile. And so with a with a great tool like RMC4630, with a very scientifically talented organization and a lot of unmet need and opportunities that need to be served, we've conducted a great deal of science over the years uh, around the SHIP2 target. And we unexpectedly discovered that it is deeply connected to oncogenic forms of RAS that cause roughly a third of of all uh, human cancers. This was a new finding uh, it subsequently was validated by others, but it made us realize that we were really a RAS company, even though at that point in time, we didn't have any specific inhibitors of RAS, but we decided that we needed to approach RAS very holistically because RAS-addicted cancers are extremely wily. They're extremely resilient, resistant to various uh, treatment approaches, and we felt we would need a holistic or combinatorial approach in order to outsmart uh, those sorts of cancers. We're developing RMC4630 as as an inhibitor of SHIP2 as part of that armamentarium, but it's only a part of it. Uh, I mentioned RMC5552 as a second part. Both of these we call companion inhibitors because we believe they would best be used, that is be most effective, if they're combined with other inhibitors. Um, And the kind of inhibitors today we believe is the most important type of inhibitor to combine with uh, these companions would be RAS inhibitors, direct inhibitors of RAS. And for that reason, we've been developing uh, a very exciting new approach to inhibiting RAS itself. But the idea is that we'll combine a RAS inhibitor with a RAS companion inhibitor and try to defeat the resistance mechanisms uh, that are uh, quite common in RAS-addicted cancers. Now, before there were such things as RAS inhibitors, recall that you know, in 2018, nobody had ever put a, a RAS inhibitor, a direct RAS inhibitor, into a patient and tested its effect 
on a RAS tumor. So we weren't really certain that those mutations in RAS that uh, look like they drive cancer could actually be an Achilles heel of human cancers until that was done. And Amgen and Marathi did those early experiments, which really convinced us uh, that we should all be focusing uh, on RAS itself. But at that point in time in 2018, we had a really fine SHIP2 inhibitor, RMC4630, headed into the clinic. There were no RAS inhibitors uh, available. And so we began looking for ways to find utility in the RMC4630 compound itself, waiting until the day when the RAS inhibitors themselves would be available to be combined with RMC4630. We came up with several companion inhibitor combinations, including combining with a cobimetinib, uh, the MEK inhibitor from Roche, or osimertinib, an EGF receptor inhibitor from uh, AstraZeneca. And we felt the unmet needs were so significant that we really couldn't wait for the direct RAS inhibitors themselves to become available. So we began uh, combination studies using RMC4630 uh, with the MEK inhibitor and the, and the EGF receptor inhibitor. And our partnership with Sanofi, our global partnership on SHIP2, uh, gave us the financial wherewithal to be able to do broad-based exploration. We knew that that would be quite difficult to combine some of these agents because of expected overlapping effects in normal tissues that, that could create additive toxicity. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we felt it was important to try them. And we believe you've got to be trying some new things that are on the leading edge or you're not working hard enough to create new clinical benefit. But an important paradigm, I think, here is if we're trying multiple experiments to make sure that the experiments are not interdependent. In other words, make sure that they are independent clinical hypotheses so that while we might find one thing or another doesn't work, it doesn't read through to the next experiment that's already underway. That's really exactly one of the things I wanted to ask you about. It was, you know, two of those experiments, the ones with combining RMC4630 with uh, cobimetinib and one with um, azimertinib. (laughs) So two of those experiments didn't, you know, they fell short of internally set benchmarks. We wrote about that earlier this week, and you guys made the decision with Sanofi, I think, in both cases to discontinue those trials. Can you just tell me a little bit about that decision-making process? Yes. So, look, we felt that these were important experiments to try. We thought that they would be difficult to be successful with, and nonetheless, we tried them. Uh, As I said, we we know that in drug development, some things will work out and some things won't, Uh, but they were important enough to try, and there wasn't anything better on the horizon. Now, as it turns out, we did see anti-tumor activity with RMC4630 combined with cobimetinib. In fact, we saw an objective response in a patient carrying a uh, RAS mutation called a G12V, as in victory, that's really never been treated before, you know, effectively with an approved drug. So we did see clinical activity, but it just didn't meet our very high hurdle for what we would call success, even though on some level, there certainly was a good indication of activity that confirmed that RMC4630 is, is doing what we expected it to do. But now we have RAS inhibitors. We have RAS inhibitors because of Amgen's and Marathi's work and others who are now coming along behind them. We have our own RAS inhibitor program that really is a next generation approach to RAS inhibitors. And that's really what we would like to most combine with RMC4630. And indeed, we have been doing the first part of that work in a combination study with, with Amgen uh, on satoricib, their 
KRAS G12C inhibitor that's under the Codebreak 101C study, which we, we might come back to. But the point I'd like to emphasize, and I think you're, you're really asking about, is that the um, results of those first two combination studies that we did were not entirely unexpected. They were pretty difficult to imagine a great degree of success from them, and they just didn't meet our hurdle for going forward with. But they still gave us a lot of information, and we don't think anything that we saw in those studies really reads through to the combination studies that we will be pursuing with direct RAS inhibitors. Now, I mean, you've had you've had an academic career, you've been an investor, you've been a CEO of five companies over time. I mean, is there sort of strategic importance in taking that kind of risk in terms of, you know, even maybe if you're not sure something's going to work, having the latitude to uh, to figure it out to advance the science there? Very much so. Um, we're working in an important area. We're talking about patients' lives here. And if we only do experiments where we know what the outcome is before we do it, we're not really doing important science. We're not moving the field. And uh, we do extensive preclinical work to try to give us predictive you know, insights, but those predictions aren't, uh, aren't 100%. And some things will work and some things won't. In tackling such an important problem, both uh, as a physician scientist myself, as a business person, um, our feeling was we need to tackle this in a big way. We can't go in with just a single experiment and it's success or failure. You know, we either win or we lose. We have to go after this holistically. We've created a very rich pipeline. I mean, arguably a, a very competitive pipeline, both RAS inhibitors, which we, by the way, call RAS on inhibitors for a particular reason we might come back to, but RAS inhibitors plus our RAS companion inhibitors. It's a very extensive set of assets and figuring out exactly how to use them in combinations, in which patients, how to dose them, and how to get the most out of it on behalf of patients is the mission of Revolution Medicines. It's what we're here to do, and we're willing to take some, some knocks along the way if something isn't working out, uh, but we feel quite encouraged uh, by the ongoing work and uh, look forward over the next you know 18 uh, months or so as we really get to those uh, uh, treatment strategies that we're most excited about and that have, we think, the greatest uh, opportunity for success. So let's talk about the uh, Lumacras combination and then uh, move on to maybe talking about the, the Rasson platform and um, things that have come from come from that. With the Lumacras, I, as I understand that you've got a ongoing phase 1B combination with RMC4630 in mutated non-small cell lung cancer and a phase 2 on deck, right? Yes, that's right. So we've been working with Amgen for uh, a little over a year. Uh, they are today the commercial leader in uh, KRAS G12C inhibitors. Uh, they've made very important advances, so we're, we're thrilled to be working with them. and We have a great relationship. As part of their Codebreak 101C study, they are testing whether RMC4630 can add clinical benefit beyond the benefit that's seen with uh, Satorasib alone, Satorasib or Lumacras alone. And uh, that's an important study. Uh, and it's, it's an exciting study. It's an exploratory study, meaning that they're testing it against a wide variety of tumor types uh, and patients at different stages in order just to see, can you find a clinical signal? And also mainly to figure out um, how you put those two together in terms of dosing and dose schedules. So that's making good progress. 
Um, they've not disclosed any of the data publicly from that work, but it's, it is making progress and we're, we're very happy uh, that it continues. Based on the totality of the evidence that we've seen in the field, in our own work, preclinically, et cetera, um, we believe that it is now important to move into a more advanced study, a phase two study, using satorosib or lumacras in combination with RMC4630, studying it in this particular case exclusively in lung cancer, in patients who have not yet been treated with a RAS inhibitor, and also studying it in patients with, who have varying genetic backgrounds in their tumors in addition to uh, or as context for their KRAS mutation in order to figure out really which is the subset of patients that can most benefit from this combination. We're really excited to be doing this study. We're in the process of, of ramping it up now. We're running it uh, with and under our partnership uh, with Sanofi, our global uh, partner for development of SHIP2 inhibitors, and in collaboration with Amgen, who are providing uh, clinical supply uh, for Satorosib. So it's an exciting study, um, and uh, we look forward to enrolling our first patients uh, in the not-too-distant future. If things proceed on schedule, it's my understanding that uh, you're looking for preliminary findings by the end of 22? That's right. That's right. Of course, we'll be monitoring every patient as they come through and um, looking to see what kinds of signals uh, we can get out of it. Um, but I think by the end of uh, 2022, we should have a, a good idea at a high level of what's the output from that study. We might not have a final data ready for presentation in a you know deep scientific uh, format, but sure. we should have the high level results. And that's terrific because not only will it give us a chance to define what a registration study should look like based on the results of that, but also it informs us with regard to our own RAS inhibitor. So everything we do with RMC4630 um, with Satorosib will provide some guidance and some insights that we can turn around and make useful uh, when we're uh, studying our own RAS inhibitors that, as you know, are coming on online very shortly. So help me understand the current pipeline a little bit. You mentioned the RMC5552 program. I've got 6291, 6236. It's easy to get lost in the jumble of numbers. But um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about the most advanced among those and, um, and, and which one's the, the, your own RAS inhibitor, because I apologize. I, I, I failed to uh, identify that. Yeah, here. well, they're, they're both our inhibitors. Uh, both, both of them come, okay. come, come from Good. RevMed. And maybe just to provide context for this, when we concluded that we really were a RAS company and needed to develop RAS, direct RAS inhibitors in addition to these companion inhibitors, we looked through the field, we identified hiding in the field uh, a next generation technology for drugging RAS, which we uh, thought could lead to more robust anti-tumor effects. And that also could be applied broadly across many different mutant forms of RAS. And so we used um, a different tool in our toolkit. We used a business tool, and that is we acquired a company, the company that had developed this technology called Warp Drive Bio. They had uh, invested several years of very high-quality discovery stage work and a significant financial investment by their investors. We felt that that technology had real promise, uh, so we merged it into our already existing deep and highly complementary drug discovery capabilities and really quite remarkably over the last couple of years, I, I think we've successfully turned it into uh, a very sophisticated, uh, differentiated, high output 
essentially an industrial-grade uh, drug discovery platform. The first two compounds to go to the clinic from this platform are those compounds 6291 and 6236. We can shorten their names, 6291, nice. 6236. Um, and these compounds are really quite exquisite molecules. Uh, they're elaborate. Uh, they required very uh, advanced chemistry. They do sort of exemplify what we can do. The first one, 6291, is a highly mutant selective inhibitor of the RAS, KRAS G12C a mutant protein. So it's highly selective and very potent and effective at suppressing its activity. On the other hand, RMC6236 is uh, also uh, an exquisite molecule, but it's designed to inhibit the entire family of RAS proteins. So uh, in contrast to 6291, which is very selective, uh, 6236 is very broad for its activity across the entire uh, or, or nearly entire RAS family of proteins. So these are two, you might call them bookends. If you think about uh, uh, each of our assets as a book on a bookshelf, on one end we have 6291, on the other end we have 6236. And now we're filling in between those two extremes a variety of different inhibitors with lots of different jumbles, jumbles of numbers to, to, to name them <laughs> uh, that um, have different ranges of selectivity that are, that are designed and engineered specifically for different uh, subsets of the RAS family of proteins because there are so many different oncogenic RAS proteins that can cause cancer. So those will be brought forward uh, in time. I might uh, tell you about uh, one or two of those in a moment. But one thing I want to highlight is that this drug discovery approach, which uh, started out fairly rudimentary, I'd say, in the, in the early days, has now turned into a virtuous drug discovery cycle. Everything that each of our teams working on this does and learns from it translates very quickly into benefit for the other teams that are working in parallel with them across the company. We have different teams mm -hmm. for different targets. So we get better and better. And as we get better, we get better at doing it. And that has led to uh, really am amazing advances. And while I think 6291 and 6236 are superb molecules, and we're really excited to get them into the clinic uh, in 2022, we're on track for uh, INDs for each of those two compounds in the first half of 2022, so just around the corner. While I'm excited about those, I'm also excited about how the platform is now enabled to approach this broader set of RAS targets uh, and to do so with quite amazing uh, chemical advances. And uh, we just reported uh, just a week ago when we described the results of the, the first two 4630 studies, we also reported tremendous drug discovery progress on two specific mutant forms of RAS called KRAS G13C and KRAS G12D. These are just molecular variants that are found in different patients than those who carry G12C. Mm -hmm. And we showed phenomenal progress in uh, drugging these two particular uh, targets. Again, just trying to provide a glimpse to folks, a, a look under the hood at, at what sorts of things are coming out of our work. We will continue to move forward compounds like those inhibitors behind uh, the first two. I think the next milestone for us actually later this year will be a declaration of a third development candidate just behind 6291 and 6236. Uh, that will move uh, towards an IND. Uh, so we, we would expect later this year to name uh, the third in our series, and then there will be more to come 
I'm sure, in uh, 2022 and beyond. Eventually, uh, as these enter the clinic one by one, we'll also create the opportunity to combine them with our very own RAS companion inhibitors like RMC4630 mm. or RMC5552. So even though we're a young and smallish company, we will quickly now get to the opportunity to combine within portfolio assets, creating combination strategies tailored to different patients with different tumor types and different genotypes within those tumors. It sounds like I'm going to be talking to you again very soon. <laughs> Number of these things. Before we wrap up, I just have a handful of questions that came up as you were talking about those last programs. Um, with the 6291 program um, mm -hmm. targeting KRAS G12C, is that going to be competitive with uh, Lumacras at some point? It will be, we hope. Um, you know, that's the nature of, of the business we're all in, which is the, the leading edge folks. Uh, get a position with clinical impact and, and, and a commercial progress, and they're making fantastic progress, and we're really happy for patients. But we're also trying to improve upon uh, the initial success that they've had. We know that 60% uh, of patients who are treated with KRAS, 60% of lung cancer patients treated with Lumacras don't show an objective response. So more than half of patients don't show a response, even though 40% do. So there's a real benefit for many patients, but there are many patients who are left uh, left without uh, that kind of benefit. So there's real opportunity. And even among those who do show an initial objective response to Lumacras or even to Adagrasib, the compound coming up from Marathi, most, if not all of those patients will progress on monotherapy within a little over a year based on the data that have been uh, published so far. And so there's still real unmet need here we're excited about the progress that's been made and the impact that Amgen and Marathi and others will have in the field, for sure. But we also are looking ahead. This is a, a chess game. We constantly need to be looking several moves ahead and making sure that we're coming up with solutions that may be helpful uh, to patients who, who simply um, are, are left out uh, from the benefit of the, of the first-generation inhibitors. So we will, at some point, I think, be uh, competing head-to-head. Uh, -head. Uh, in what format that will occur, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see as time comes. But we do project, based on the preclinical profile of RMC6291, that it does have a real opportunity to provide additional benefit beyond that of, uh, of the first-generation inhibitors. And on the 6236 program, um, you, you know, we're talking about real um, broad application. You know, I often think about drugs as trying to be scalpels, you know, and obviously the opposite of scalpel is not necessarily a sledgehammer. Can you just tell me, you know, briefly about the, the potential of having that, that broader targeting? Yes. Well, a, a couple of things. So first is that um, by having its broad potential, it means it may be used in multiple different tumor types, multiple different histotypes that uh, genotypes that are simply not served by G12C inhibitors. And, and actually 85% of all new RAS cancers in the US are driven by something other than KRAS G12C. So the vast majority of cancer patients are, are, are not gonna be served by these, uh, by these RAS G12C inhibitors. So that's a real big opportunity and serious uh, unmet need in lung cancer, colorectal, pancreatic, and other forms of cancer. That's uh, exciting. I think a second feature that's much more subtle, uh, sort of a scientific insight that um, often is overlooked, and that is that 
in a cancer that's driven by a mutant RAS, often the normal forms of RAS that are in those tumor cells actually do contribute to the formation of cancer. And I know that that's a little bit of a troubling thought um, when we thought precision oncology was all about finding the cancer driver and crushing the cancer driver and everything's all over. It just turns out that it's not so simple. And in the RAS-addicted cancers, uh, which are really sort of tirelessly addicted to RAS, they will exploit all of the RAS proteins or many of the RAS proteins that they can get their hands on within a cell in order to maintain viability. And therefore, being able to inhibit more broadly across the RAS uh, collection of proteins within a cell uh, can provide significant benefit. So that's a twist that hasn't been talked about much. We very much believe that there's good evidence for it. Uh, of course, and I think what you're hinting at is the possibility that if you inhibit all the RAS proteins, will the patient be able to tolerate that? Will their normal tissues be able to tolerate that broader uh, inhibitory effect of 6236? And I think the answer as we see it today yeah. is that there is a therapeutic window. There is a place to find uh, a, a dose and a regimen to find that has the kinds of desired effects on the tumor, even dramatic effects on the tumor, but still be tolerable uh, to the patient. Now, we have to prove that in humans, of course. There's good precedent for that. You know, the early RTK inhibitors like erlotinib and gefitinib, and even the blockbuster osimertinib is not selective for the mutant form uh, of their target, their EGF receptor target. They actually inhibit wild-type EGF receptors, and patients can have some side effects from that, and yet they also gain, uh, receive tremendous clinical benefit from being treated with those drugs. So I think we already know that this is possible, and in preclinical work with RMC6236, we saw even more dramatic uh, a ratio of benefit to uh, side effects, but we have to do that experiment in humans, and we'll find out early on how well it's tolerated, what doses we can we can achieve, and whether or not what I just said uh, translates into into patient benefit. Well, driving toward new insights, that seems like a pretty good place to wrap things up. I so appreciate you taking time to talk to me about these programs today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate your questions and the chance to uh, to tell you about Revolution Medicines. That was a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Mark and Michael. As always, BioWorld will continue to report on the incremental scientific, clinical, and business updates in this field. So that's our show for today. If you need to track the developments of drugs, turn to BioWorld.com. Follow us on Twitter or email us at newsdesk at BioWorld.com. Thanks for joining us. BioWorld, published by Clarivate, is a subscription-based news service but all of our COVID-19 content, more than 5,000 articles and data entries since the start of the pandemic, are freely accessible.